Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Poolside Perspectives Podcast. I am Kevin Woodhurst, and with me is my good friend, Mike Farley, and we're so glad you found this podcast. Together, we have been homeowner advocates in outdoor living and the pool industry for over 30 years. So we understand the challenges you face creating your backyard paradise. We know your curiosity is not enough to ensure your success. So on this podcast, we're going to talk about the design process and practical steps to help you create that space. We'll have some fun mixed in with it, some aha moments, and this is no fluff. No one has time for that. So we're going to get serious and get very particular about all of these topics. Whether you are a new homeowner with your first remodel or a seasoned homeowner competing your last dream home, we are here to help you end up with what you dreamed of. From pools to patios, pizza ovens to pergolas, porcelain to pumps, pool party to permits, ping pong tables to the processes to your paradise. This is straight talk and action steps. Let's get started. My wife, she shops like this and then it's funny because it maybe it could compare, but she'll look at something and I'll say, oh, that looks really nice. That's pretty, whatever. And she'll go, but it's $200 and it's only worth $60 to me. So if it's 60, I'd buy it, but I'm not buying it. I've got to figure out what it's going to be. What's the value to you? And it's different for everybody. And that's, again, part of the discovery phase, which is what we've spent the last couple episodes on. And we're going to talk about it even more now today because we're going to talk about what are you going to use your pool for? So I view pools in two extremes. I look at pools that some people, the pool is all about activity. It was activity. I want to minimize the steps and benches in the pool. And I really don't want a built-in bar stool because I'll impale myself while I'm trying to spike the volleyball. And so I want space to move around and play. And I want a nice depth that I can do that in. That's an activity pool. I may do exercise in it. I may dive into it. I may play Marco Polo in it. But I want a lot of space to move around and play. The other extreme is this pool is all about relaxation. And this is a place of peace and tranquility. And I just want to come out here and unwind and relax with my friends and enjoy a conversation. So I love built-in bar stools, tables, and I want a really big tanning ledge, preferably that sits at least four chairs so I can visit with sure. my friends. And then I want water features and I want sound and I want visual effects. And I'd rather die than break a sweat in the pool, but I want a place that I can just relax and enjoy and unwind. So those are two extremes when I look at swimming pools. But that's great because you're right. You're either going to be exercising, playing in it, or you're going to be relaxing and enjoying it, or somewhere in the middle, it's both. I think the both situation, unless a pool is very, really good size, I've been riding motorcycles most of my life, and there's street bikes and then there's dirt bikes. And they make a dual purpose bike, which isn't good at either one of them. Right. It does the job. You can make it work, but it doesn't do either job really good. And so that's really something to consider is what am I using this pool for? And then, of course, if you're building it for, for entertainment and relaxation, now you're going to have lots of places to sit, lots of places to be inside the pool. Maybe to your point, a swim, a bar, a spa, a big ledge. And when Phoenix, 20 years ago, when I built the first pool... Now, 25 years ago, when I built the first pool for my family when the kids were little, now it's between, it's about 20 years ago, we made a third of the pool the ledge, a whole third. And that's where everybody stayed at. That's where everybody liked to be at. The spa was right next to it, the same level as the pool. And then you had the swimming area out in the main pool. But I think since the ledges came out, and especially with the ledge loungers and some of the furniture that's now available, people just want to be close to the water and just want to feel it experience it, see it, and just enjoy it. And that would be the entertainment pool, to your point. Right. My mother-in-law just wants to sit in the water. Basically, she wants to put her feet in the water, sit in a chair, sit under an umbrella, and watch her grandkids. So that's the best place in the world for her. When we look at general activity, she wants an umbrella for shade because she wants to function with the water and be in the shade. Sure. So that's something that some people used to always want the we called them tanning ledges because they wanted to tan there. Quite honestly, I don't run to a lot of people today that want to tan there. They just want to hang out there. And mm -hmm. the thought of sitting in the shade works a whole lot better for them than sitting in the sun. If you do it, set it up for umbrellas or 
some of the chairs that have now covers over so you can sit a little mm-hmm. bit underneath the cover. That's something as well. Get some protection for your face from yes. the sun. Yeah, sure. We called them Baja shelves. I think there's probably half a dozen different names for them. So I think we touched on this on a one episode somewhere. We did? I think. Yeah, Spider's shaking his head. <laughs> All righty, moving along here. So we want to be thinking about the type of pool. And of course, then there's the diving pool. Yeah. So in Phoenix, did you have predominantly recreation pools and diving pools or how did it work there? It was all over the map. Okay. I think everything's all over the map now. I think what's happened is there's been so much that has gone on the last 20 years that there's not a normal anymore. People ask me, I just want a normal pool. What is that for you? What's funny is it. When I was in California, the normal was totally different than mm-hmm. what the normal was here in Texas. So when I came to Texas, it was interesting. The city of Dallas had a code. And the city of Dallas's code was you could have a pool from whatever depth to five feet, and then you couldn't have anything until after that until eight. So they required you to make it eight feet deep or five feet deep. And so it drove everybody to a diving pool or a recreational pool. There was no hybrids. That's interesting. Yeah. So when I was in California, the most popular pool we did was a three and a half to six and a half. Because at three and a half, you could do a flip turn. At six and a half, you could dive in head first off the deck and do cannonballs and stuff like that. You couldn't put a diving board on that. That was too shallow, but it served a lot of purposes. But coming to Texas, everybody wanted these recreational depth pools when they were three and a half, five, four. I was like, that's different. Or they went to three and a half to eight and a half or nine or something like that. So I'm sure different parts of the country are a little bit different in how they handle things. Here, what I do predominantly is recreational depth pools. So it's not over your head. So Mm -hmm. you can play basketball and volleyball and hang out. And the pool that's for relaxation has gained a lot of ground within the last couple of years. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we primarily in Phoenix were doing three to five to four play pools. Okay. I think the industry there, I mean, that's just was kind of the general standard. Okay. I want to play pool. It's going to be three to five to four. Problem with three feet is if you're going to swim laps, you're going to skid your nose on the bottom of the pool. And I'm not flexible in the least bit. So I probably need six feet to do a turn. So I don't do that. And then when you get to the diving pools, I think something that people don't consider is the fact that the diving board is going to dictate how big the pool's going to be. Right. You're building a pool around a diving board. Right. So when you do a diving board, there is a safety envelope. You Mm -hmm. have to be a certain width. You have to be a certain length. You have to be a certain depth based on the type of board that you use. And I have clients that are all the time are like, okay, let's not use a board. Let's use a rock. Because the other guy said I could do a shower or pool with a rock. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, you're diving from the same elevation. The same safety envelope is required. So you still have to have that length, width, and depth because you're diving from an elevated platform. Mm -hmm. And if you become even higher and you're diving from higher areas, then your envelope gets even bigger. Or the spring of the board. Yes. That's something you have to understand when you're doing safety. And then what's not in that envelope are your steps and your benches. Those have to be outside that space. You can't have anything in the envelope. Correct. Right. That built-in table would really mess it up. So I've had people over the years, one of the things that comes up with the diving pools is they obviously want to have as much shallow area as possible because sometimes you've done smaller pools before. I mean, there's only so much room in a yard. This customer wants a diving pool, so you're going to put a small board on it. But that break is where, for those that don't understand it, that break is at five feet and it comes at the, as you're coming out of the bowl... You can go at a one and three slope up to the five feet, and then it changes to one and seven. And so we can't just arbitrarily move it one way or the direction because we've got to have a certain distance between the board and the end of the pool to where that break is because that's potentially where people get and break their necks. The industry found out, because when I was growing up, and I think it was the same for you, it was typically a 10-foot deep pool, and it was three feet deep. And what we called it was the abyss. Because it went along really flat, and then all of a sudden it dropped sharply down to the 10 feet. And what the industry found is the people were injuring themselves, never hitting the floor of the pool. It was where it transitioned up on that really sharp angle. And so the industry made the pools, I want to say somewhere in the mid-80s, early 90s, they made them shallower, 
and then they made the break more gentle and longer. So your shallow space became smaller. So yes, if we put a diving board in, we can't change those. Those are specified safety envelopes. Right. And you get into a 15 by 30 or a 16 by 32 foot pool, it's going to be all diving pool. Yeah. There's not going to be a whole lot of play area in it there. I have clients all the time that ask me, they come to me and they say, we want a diving pool. And my question is, why? And they say, our kids like to dive. My response is, how old are they? And what I've found over the years, and I just offer this up as advice, I found that working with kids, mostly elementary school kids will line up like lemmings to dive off of anything. They'll dive all day long, whether it's a a rock (laughs) or a diving board or whatever. They just, let's get in line and be the next one to dive and dive and dive and they'll wear themselves out and they'll sleep great. But what happens is in junior high, typically that junior high kids start wanting to hang out and they want to play volleyball and they want to play basketball. And so they want to hang out in a recreational depth pool, not a diving pool because half of a diving pool is over your head. So then high school's the same. Really, there's a small window, basically elementary school age, that diving is a predominant thing. So I ask people, how long are you going to live in the house? Mm -hmm. And when people say, we're here through the kids being through high school, I'm like, if you want to be the house where the kids hang out in junior high and high school, you should probably build a big recreational pool, not a diving pool. Now, if you're blessed to have the the money to build a massive pool, which has both, Mm -hmm. okay, that's great. But a lot of yards won't support it, and a lot of budgets won't support that either. If you're to make a decision... If your kids are in elementary school and you get transferred every three years, well, build a diving pool. Let the next person deal with it. It works well for your family. Great. But you want to think about how you're going to use that pool over the life of when you're going to be in that home. It may change and it may not change, but you you don't want to look at it. When we built our pool, all my kids were like, oh, good, we're going to get a diver because I had a daughter that was a competitive diver. And she was a swimmer as well. And I had a daughter that was a gymnast. And I had a son that jumped off of everything and a wife that was a gymnastics coach. So they're all like, diving pool, way to go. And I was like, no, we want to do a recreational pool. They're like, why? I was like, because I don't care where you're at in elementary school. I want to know where you're at in high school, which worked extremely well. The problem is I had to feed all those kids that came through my yard all the time. Be which, careful what you wish for. Yeah. It was funny. When Trey left to go to college, it wasn't the weird thing that he left. It was 10 boys that were at our house every weekend, 10 to 15 to 20. They all left because Laura quit cooking for them all. And that brings up another point. We can't control what everybody does at the houses. So, you know, potentially, and when we're talking teenagers, we know their brains get turned off and they horse around. Some people, their comment is that I need to have a diving pool because they're going to do stupid things. And I said, no, if you make them very clear that you can't do anything, then that won't happen. So when I opened my pool the very first weekend, I said, there's no diving in the pool because our pool wasn't a diving pool. And of course, within the first hour, some kid jumps in and dives head first off of the big rock work on the end of the pool. And I was like, Clayton, come over here. And he's like, what's up? I'm like, you need to get out of the pool. And he's like, oh, really, Mr. Farley? You're not going to make me get out, are you? And I'm like, yeah, Clayton, you're going to get out. An hour later, he's like, when can I get back in? And I said, oh, Clayton, I explained at the beginning, anybody dives in this pool is out of the pool for a year. And he's like, you were joking, right? And I'm like, no, Clayton, because see, this is how it works. I keep you out for a year. I never have to deal with this again because everybody's like, Mr. Farley's nuts you dive in this pool, he's going to throw you out. He's like, I'm over here all the time. I'm like, yeah, I understand that. So we ended up allowing Clayton to be on the tanning ledge or in the spa (laughs) for the year. That's awesome. It's a great story. I've had four pools. I've not had a diving pool. We did quite a few in Phoenix. I'm working on several here. It's, It's a great explanation between the two. And I think you've got to figure out what it is that you want. And furthermore, I'm going to add to the fact that you either make the commitment to your point of building a, a diving pool, if that's what you're going to do, versus just making the pool a little bit deeper and allowing people to do that. And that's just silly. Certainly as an adult, I could dive into four feet of water, but I wouldn't dive straight down. 
But kids don't know the difference. People make mistakes. Oh, it's usually the drunk 20-year-old who's, look, watch me. That's the one you have to protect himself against. One thing that also has come up over time that people have asked me about, which is safer, a rock or a board? And I tell people a board's probably a safer situation because it takes you out over the water Mm -hmm. versus being on the edge of the water. Also, a board is a designated safe spot to jump in. Was it this rock or this rock over here that I could jump off of? Or is it three or four feet over farther? And so if you have the board, the safety envelope is set off that board exactly versus it's a rock and we're not sure which one. You may be diving too close to the edge. And so when you dive in, you'll run into the sidewall of the pool. And mm. that's the concern with the, the width of the envelope. So that's just something to think about as well. A lot of times people assume that's the worst. The other thing that people bring up to me all the time is what about my insurance? I hear it's more expensive on my homeowner's insurance to have a diving board. Have you ever had that question? I've had the question a million times. And what do you tell them? To be honest, I don't know. Oh, you're not an insurance agent? I don't know the answer to that. So I just tell them, look, I don't know. You need to call your insurance agent. Tell them you're thinking about getting a pool because your insurance might change by just having a pool. Sometimes it doesn't change. And sometimes people just don't tell anybody. But at the end of the day, you want to do your due diligence and protect yourself. Yeah. So what I found is that when they find out some it goes up and some it doesn't, but yes, you need to communicate with your insurance agent about mm, that. So great point. The functions of the pool, I've had people want some unique things over time. We've had people want competitive volleyball setups. So they wanted it all the same depth. It went from four foot on the edges to four foot three at the net so they could play competitive volleyball in the pool. We can come up with some unique things if you are trying to do unique activities. So those depths work out for swimming laps? Yes. So there's a couple of things that you could do with that. Can- yeah. Cannonball would be a little tough in four foot three. Yeah, probably. So going back to the pools themselves and the depths and stuff, another thing that I have noticed here is there are far more slides done here than are done in Phoenix. And but- I'm saying that the slides are not just like slides here. <laughs> They're water park slides. And I've done some in Phoenix. I have, and I did one with actually two tube slides and rocks buried under the ground with uh, fiber optic lighting in it 20 years ago. But the slides nowadays that I'm seeing on these pools, I'm like, wow, they're insane. They're great. But, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking the the bigger slides are typically going to be on big pools where there is a diving area and there is a play area and there is a ledge and there is a spa and there is all the space to add it. But when you add a slide, there's some considerations to take into. Oh, most definitely. You have to have, again, a slide profile is just Mm -hmm. like the diving profile. And one of the things, the depth, there's a depth issue. I found that with big adults going down the slide, it's nice to make that depth a little bit extra Mm -hmm. than taking it to the minimum. So when you go down, you have some comfortable space to go with. But yeah, and this has changed just recently here. We used to do some 15-foot slides six foot tall. That was a common situation. And we do four or five a year, but again, COVID has changed and now people want everything in the backyard. So yes, we are building water parks and backyards. It's fun. It is a lot of fun. I'm not complaining. I had a client the other day is I need two 45 foot long slides. And I'm like two. And they're like, yeah, I have very competitive children and they want to race each other. And I'm like, okay, that sounds like fun. That uh, pool I was talking about in Phoenix, that was uh, designed for a couple of young boys, and that was the scenario there. You've got the slides, and then, granted, we've come out of this style of pool, if you will. And the term I hear is, well, that's so 80s, and they're talking about freeform pools with rocks on them. And the last 10 or so years, we've gone to this more of a modern-style pool, very straight lines. And they're beautiful, and they both can be beautiful, but... When you add the rocks and the slides and you're doing all that freeform style pool and you have a grotto, you know, that's sitting three, four, five, six feet off the ground. How deep are you making the pool there? Because you know people are going to jump off of it. But yet I see designs all the time. That's not even taking a concern. They're not going to jump off that. We'll keep them off. We just did one in McKinney and the pool is nine and a half feet deep Mm -hmm. because of that. So from a safety standpoint. Yep. And that's how it should be. 
Yeah. One thing that's also, this is just a minor detail. We talked about steps and benches and hanging out. When I get out of the pool, bench that I'm on is two feet below the edge of the pool. And so my knees don't work real well in stepping up that two feet. So you've got 18 inches of water depth, another three, five, 22, 23 inches. So you're adding a step out. Yes. Yep. That's a great thing. I do step outs in almost all the Mm -hmm. corners of my benches. So I can then step on that, which ends up being six inches of water. And then I can step out. So it makes both steps about 12 inches tall. And most people don't ever know to ask for that type of thing. But to me, it's really helpful to get in and out as I age. I would agree. And I want to bring up something else I want to ask you, actually, with regards to the ledges, going back to the ledge discussion. Because for years, we built pools in Phoenix where that was 18 inches of water. And of course, that was before ledge lounger and some of these other things came up. Was that the case here in Texas? Were you guys doing them at 18 inches? No. Or 12? When I was in California, it was 18. Yeah. And we called it a Baja shelf in California. And I came here and they were six. And I was like, six? That's really shallow. And what it is, it's the difference between the top step and the second step. Correct. And so what happens is people say people like to hang out in this shallow water and you can have a toddler play in it. And you can just sit in it. And I was like, okay, it has some merit versus the other one was a little bit on the deep side. Mm -hmm. I think that the chairs have generated a lot of interest in the benches, the ledges being showered. And probably the other thing that has contributed to it is people going on vacation in Mexico and other exotic places where they've got these big beach entries and the water shallow there. And they probably had some sort of chaise or some chair sitting on there and they wanted to bring it back here. We talked about why that's not a great idea. I Yeah, I remember that discussion, but that sort of makes some sense having it at six inches, especially with the furniture. But one of my own personal pools in Phoenix built in 2000 or built in probably 99, 98 or 99, that particular pool, which was a big free farm pool with a spa at the same level as the pool. That's just my favorite way to do them. We had a large one third of the pool as a ledge, but I had a six inch deep area, but I had little bubblers in there for the kids to play in. And then it stepped down to the 18 inches because we didn't have a ledge lounger's. Right. was never a thought. So we'd drag in our furniture into there and just sit there while the kids were playing. It was fun. So one thing I mentioned earlier was a built-in bar stool. So I may not have said built-in. So you did. bar stools can be really wonderful and they can be really awful. So it's something that you need to think about. So when we do a built-in one, typically you're going to have this connected to the floor of the pool. So I've seen some people have it attached to the side wall of the pool, but it's typically going to be on the floor of the pool. And so one of the things, me personally, because of my past experiences, I tell people that they can't have a conventional cleaner with a built-in bar stool. Way. You disagree? No, I'm saying absolutely not. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, no, I completely concur with that. So... The reason why you don't want that is the cleaner will wrap around it probably every three or four hours. Yep. Okay. So some people are like, oh, it won't happen that often, will it? And I'm like, you will curse the day that I built your pool because you'll be unraveling that pool cleaner all the time. And I had a guy a couple of years ago that was really funny. And he said, okay, let's push this out to the far edge so it can hardly get there unless it's stretched out all the way. And let's build like a bench with a table. And so there's no way it can go all the way through there and wrap in there. So he thought that would work. And I'm like, I don't think it's going to work. I think we should cut the hose short and you're just going to have to brush that area. And he's like, no, no, I think it'll work. So I show up for the photo shoot. That's wrapped around it. No, there's cinder blocks stacked Uh. on the bench. And he looked at me and he's like, I don't want to hear about it. I will get the cinder blocks out of the pool for you. (laughs) Anyway, so my solution is that you need to do an Infora cleaning system. Absolutely. If you're going to consider bar stools, because that way you don't have to have a conventional cleaner with a hose and it eliminates that problem. Now I have seen removable benches, bar stools you can put in and then take out Mm -hmm. and also ledge just came up with some ones that you can put in the pool just like you put chairs in. But 
those would still get wrapped around, but you could remove them after a party or something like that if you were just going to keep them in for an occasional use during the year. No, that would be the advantage of having the removable ones, but I think that would get old. About as old as turning the hose bib on for the water level or two to add water to the pool and remember to turn it off. What I tell people is, look, this pool is going to be really exciting for you for a while. But like everything else in life, when we buy a new car, we typically, a lot of people go get it washed once a week and then it changes into once a month and then not so often unless you're just hardcore on it, which I happen to be. But I believe that with everything, we're just human beings. We start, I don't want to say lose interest, but we start not paying attention to some of that stuff and then we damage things. So I think it's a, it's a big deal. So what you're saying is you want as low as maintenance as possible so you can enjoy your pool instead of working on it? That is a great statement because how many people do you talk to and you're talking to them and they just say, we want a really low maintenance pool. Oh. We can show you how to build a really super low maintenance pool. There's no such thing as a no maintenance pool. No, it doesn't exist. But we can show you how to build a low maintenance pool. And there's certainly things that need to be added for that. I'm not shy about it. I'm an in-floor system cleaning guy. That's just, I think there's nothing better than that. I would not have a pool without one. A couple of things that I like to add to pools when it comes to general activity is I like to set it up if they're going to play water basketball or volleyball. And of those two, I've found, just from my experience, and showing up on photo shoots, in 30 years I've seen one volleyball net set up when I showed up. I agree. Unless you are an Olympic volleyball person and you're going to play all the time, that's almost what happens. Additionally, people get tired of getting in and out of the pool, getting the ball, because the pools are small. But every photo shoot I've ever done that they've had a built-in basketball goal, that goal's in the pool when I show up. And I think it might be because you can play by yourself or just two people. You don't have to have four when you're playing volleyball or something like that. So I think volleyball is like the 4th of July game. You show up and you play when you have a group, but basketball, you can go out and play every day. Last three seconds of the game, you've got the ball, you're taking the shot from the outside, you shoot, he scores! Yes. so That's fun. We played a lot. So I like to do built-in units because they're a little bit sturdier than the, the one that you buy and put the sand or the water on and you know, on the edge of the pool type situation. So it's just simple with sleeves that you put in place. So when you do that, you just got to be very certain that's where you want it. Oh, most definitely. I'm partial to the ones that you can move around and move out of the way when you have company over and it's a personal preference. Yeah. But you can pull those out mm -hmm. and put them in the side yard until the guests leave. So is there a particular type of basketball sleeve that you like using? Is it just the, like the six inch or eight inch round hole style or do you do the dual one? You've got a specific kit that you sell that you can recommend to people that you're talking about? So I always do the dual one because it's a stiffer board and I've got a boy that wanted to play basketball a lot. And so, he's a big kid. Yeah. So I told him you can't hang on that rim though, but they like playing basketball. And the nice thing about it is it's a double sleeve. It's got a piece of metal welded in between the two. So basically it keeps it plumb. So as it's set in place, it's, you're not going to get one wonky one, but then it's going to be hard to set the unit in and out. So it's a nice setup. So I think SR Smith may be the one that manufactures that the top of my head i can't I think remember. it is yeah. i think it is i've seen it that's the big game i guess that you know i probably have some sort of built-in situation that i'm going to look at for you know it's just general activity around the pool what are the games do you think people like playing in a pool besides shoving each other in and horseplay i hear edgar is the marco polo champion oh yeah we did hear that didn't yeah. we <laughs> yes we did but as a kid i always just had fun diving down to the bottom of the pool and getting stuff so that was a, a game for me. You, you can play lots of things. I remember the Bora High School public swimming pool when I was in grade school, and that was the thing to do. They had a high dive down there and a, the three-meter board and the one-meter board, and that was a cool thing to jump, dive in, and find something on the bottom. As far as general activity, you have any other thoughts? One of the things my son Mitchell and I did extensively was we played football in the pool all the time, and then we also had these little thrasher style water toys that you would fill with water and you could throw at each other or toss back and forth. We just loved that. One of the pools had a, some pedestals on the backside and he would jump off those. It wasn't a diving pool, but he would jump off those and pretend like he was making a finger catch 
and scoring a touchdown. And I've got pictures of him. And it's just like some of the most precious of memories for me growing up with the kids in the pool. It was just so much fun. I just think having a pool is one of the greatest things ever. And I'm still excited about it. And that's what gets me encouraged and excited when I go out to meet families and people interested in the pool is this is going to be a really good thing. You're going to love this. It's a great place for family, friends to enjoy time together, whether you use it for one extreme in activity or use it in the other extreme for relaxation. It's still a great place. Just the connection to the water, being close to the water. And the design changed so much the last few years. We're getting closer and closer to it. It's fun. Another activity, and it's really not an activity, but it's just really being in the pool and going back to the swim-up bars. That seems to be something that's gotten far more popular the last few years as well. So with the outdoor living aspect, people want to be near the water. So they want some covered space where they can be in some shade. They want to sit and interact with each other. And a lot of people want to just hang out and watch a game. And so the swim up bar has become a really big part of the outdoor living experience. So one of the things that you want to make sure when you do a swim up bar is that if you're going to do it, one of the things I tell people all the time is if you're sitting at a bar stool and you're looking at people's feet, you won't sit at that bar stool for very long because the interaction with their toes is in a really great experience. <laughs> so what has to happen is they have to be recessed down on the other side of the bar to some level so there's some interaction. And what I found is 18 inches is a bare minimum. You can sit in a chair and you're still up above them. But if you can get it down to 24 or 30, that's ideal. But 36 is a typical situation or 42 for a swim up bar because now we're sitting like at a table 42 you could be standing there you could be standing there so one of the things when i do swim up bar stools in the pool is i like to make them all when you step off the bar you're stepping into three and a half foot of water so there's a ledge there i've done those swim up bars and they might be on the deep end the pool's eight and a half feet deep, and I'm going to make a ledge there that's three and a half outside of the safety envelopes. If we, sure. So Transitional area. That you can step off of and stand or sit very comfortably. That outdoor living space is something that's, yeah, really popular is to have that. Or the other thing that's come into play a lot of times is the new thing is the swim-up bar, but also the sunken fire pit. Oh, yeah. So got a couple of those going right now. So we want to sink the fire pit. So when we sit in the fire pit, we're basically eye to eye with somebody that's also in the water. So we have a really good connection. So some people really like it, even if there's not a fire in it, they don't want to get wet, but they want to be part of the activity and interaction. And so they can go out there and sit and still hang out and talk to people that are in the pool. Well, it puts them down to the same level. Exactly. Yeah. So I agree. So you have the biggest thing that you have to think about if you have a sunken fire pit or if you have a sunken cabana area, swim up bar area. Drainage. That's exactly right. How's the water get out of there? So I've seen in some parts of the country that's not addressed much because they're like, well, it doesn't rain much here. And we have a roof over the top of it, so we're not going to worry about it. And then you get the gully washer that fills up the sunken cabana and now you have a second pool the problem is your ice maker and your refrigerator are in that second pool yes that that would be a problem yeah not a good situation or your fire pit with automatic ignition is now underwater as well those don't work real well and ideally you want that to be a gravity feed drain yes you want to be able to do it without a pump without anything else you want gravity feed to daylight so What Kevin's talking about is a sump pump that you would pump the water out of a sunken space, the drain out of the sunken space. The problem is a lot of times when you get that biggie rain, you also have electricity that goes out. And so now you have no power and you have water. And so your sump pump doesn't work or it just breaks and it's not working. So yes, I personally 
only do a gravity situation. Now, I'm lucky in the fact that in most cases, I've got enough hillside to work with that I can pull it off. Sure. But there are some places, Florida, it'd be hard to pull off. Everything's pretty flat there. And all of this stuff are things that you want to know before you ever get into this. I agree with you. I think maybe you and I were just talking outside of the podcast. There are people that sell pools at the lowest price, don't give everybody all the information, and now you're inundated with change orders throughout the way. And what we're trying to avoid, what I want to avoid with all my clients is change orders at all. Nobody likes surprises. Do you like surprises? I guess if they're good surprises, we like them. But when it comes to money, we're not always excited about it. Well, if they want to give me money, that's a great surprise. Uh, But I guess that happens on my birthday, maybe occasionally. No, I'm probably pretty old for getting prizes like that. But yes, getting a surprise where I got to give somebody money is not a pleasant situation. Any other recess things we might work with? There are things, but I think we'll cover them on future episodes. One would be pools that you're just doing for the look, those glass panels where you can see inside the pool, pools that are built near basements where you've got windows looking into the pool. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff we can do. So one last thing for general activity is I have some people now and then that come to me and they're like, I want a lazy river. So lazy river is a topic in its own and we'll touch base on it. But one of the coolest features that I incorporated with a river is I had a client that was like, we want to relax, but we want some general activity here. And to proper relax, we need proper refreshment. He had me build in sunken coolers all the way around the river. And there was two in every stopping point. And one was for adult beverages and the other one was for non-adult beverages. As you floated around, you could participate in the proper thing that you wanted. These were coolers you put ice in and put your drinks in. Yeah, this is a drop-in cooler like mm-hmm. you use in an outdoor kitchen. Yeah. It's fully insulated. You put ice in it on Friday, and there's still ice in it on Sunday. Alcoholic beverages disappeared quicker than that. So that's a great idea. That's cool. So anyway, but we'll touch base on that Lazy River detail in a little bit more. But I think that kind of covers up all the uh, general activities that we might consider on a project. I think so. And we can certainly get back to it if we have to. Okay. All right. Great. Thanks. You ready for the word of the day? The vocabulary lesson. Yes, I keep getting that wrong. The Poolside Perspectives podcast vocabulary lesson. All right, this is what it's going to be on because I was out this weekend looking at some stuff. It came up. Let's talk about water levelers. An autofill. What is that? So when you have a pool, you have what's called evaporation and your water leaves the pool without having a pool leak. When you have that evaporation, you have to put water back in the pool by some form or means. And so that comes down to a manual fill where I'm going to manually walk out and turn a hose bib on. And in some cases, there's no mechanism by which to get the water into the pool other than I got to drag a hose over there and turn the hose on and fill it. So now the challenge with that fill is generally not the turning on, it's the turning off that's usually the problem. Whoops. Yes. Now we have a new water feature. It's called my pool overflowing into the, my neighbor's yard. It's called a quasi-perimeter overflow pool? Oh, yes. Very crude. That's how they started, <laughs> I guess. Right. So. Wow, that looks cool. How can we incorporate that into a design? Yeah. It's been a challenge with people for decades. The step beyond that of dragging a hose out is there's a valve at the hose bib, which you turn on and off. And there's a pipe that goes underground into the pool. So you don't have to drag the hose part over there, but you still have to manually turn it on and off. Some people are like, I'm into low maintenance. I want something that's easy to take care of. So I want something that will automatically do this. This is now a mechanism that's built into the pool, which will automatically put water in. So I don't have to drag hose out and do that. Do you want to talk about some of the different autofills? Well, this is one of those things where I think it's important that people understand in different geographical locations, because as I spent a lot of years in Phoenix building pools, I've never built a pool without an autofill. However, in Phoenix, we don't typically put overfills in pools because they just don't overfill. We don't have enough rain. And it it happens so minimalist that when it does, you can deal with it. But here, 
And this is really what's been intriguing to me as I've been here for a little over a year now, and I'm just learning how things are done different as they are in different parts of the, the country. I just found it fascinating that so many pools, in fact, Heather and I were out this weekend, we visited five houses, not a single house that we visited that had a pool, had an autofill on it. Every one of them had a brick with a boulder or a rock squeezing the top of the hose and it was just dumping into the pool. So yeah, you had to come out, turn the water on to overfill it. And then to your point, remember to turn it off. And that I would suspect is the bigger issue. So one thing that also used to be in play, which is not anymore, is in Texas, a lot of people would hook a autofill up to a sprinkler zone. So when we're tearing the sprinklers out, hey, we lost some grass in here. So we're just going to use a zone that was for that grass to pipe water in. And we're going to program on Monday for the valve to open up and run for 30 minutes. And as the seasons changed, you might be 45 minutes or an hour or 15 minutes, depending on the time of the season that you were putting water in your pool. But then it was somewhat automatic. So if you went out of town, you weren't going to come back to your water level dropping below your skimmer and your pump burning out, which is the challenge is if your water does get too low. So it's a critical thing by keeping water level in a swimming pool. And one of the reasons it's critical is because it keeps enough water flowing through your pool pump so that it doesn't burn out. That's a big deal. But here's another thing. It depends too on, to some degree, what part of the country you're in. Because if you're in a really hot part of the country, you're going to have more evaporation. But the style of pool, a perimeter overflow pool, a vanishing edge pool, any pool that has a spa with a spillway on it, these are going to have more evaporation than, say, just a pretty prototypical swimming pool in a yard. Yep. The more surface area you expose the water to, the more evaporation. And I tell people, I have a lot of people that get a pool and for their very first year, they come in and they're like, I've got a pool leak. I'm like, why do you think you have a pool leak? And so I've learned to explain this to people beforehand so they don't come in and say they've got a pool leak because they believe you more if you tell them in the first hand versus in response. So I said, in the middle of the summer, you're going to lose easy three inches of water a week just due to evaporation, again, with a typical pool, not one with a lot of water features that are exposing more water to the air, especially if you throw the water through the air, like a cannon jets and laminars, those get a lot of exposure to the air, so a lot more evaporation. Three inches, your water level, you're obviously going to need to add water every week, otherwise you're going to burn a pump out. I come from the mindset that a water leveler would be crucial to having a pool anymore. I don't think anybody buys a car anymore without cruise control on it. A water level is really something you need, people. And this is why this is important is because you need to have enough information so that when you're looking at these estimates or you're going through the process with the salesperson or a designer, that you know the right questions to ask for. Is that even included? Because in most cases, it's not. Exactly. And I've noticed here, there's a number of things that I took for granted in the past it really should be on all pools. And I, I don't know that I'm going to change my mind on it, but here we are in 2023 going into 2024. I think you need to have water level around your pool. So what has to happen here is the expense of tying one in to an existing home. You're usually coming off the water meter. You have to set an RPZ. You mm -hmm. got to run the water out. This piece of equipment is sometimes Two to three thousand dollars in cost, sure, or more. And some people are like, "I'd rather spend the money on something else." But at least then you've made an educated decision, sure, on doing that versus never been told of the option. Or your pool gets all done, and you're asking the question at that point. A little late, absolutely, a lot late. Awesome. Anything else we need to think about with autofills? Well, not here at this point. You're all filled up. I'm all filled up. I'm totally filled. That's actually funny. If you can imagine the amount of liquid I have to drink in the morning to get everything into me well, to fight this battle, it's a lot. So I definitely have an autofill in me. Good for you. <laughs> we do have a question to cover. And oh, I want to so, hear it. So the question of the day comes from Gene from Woodland, California. And Gene says, I have a salesperson that I'm working with and he doesn't understand what I'm trying to communicate. What do I do with him? Oh, that's a great question. It could be a her too, but. True. It's a great question. I'll bet it comes up an awful lot with people trying to determine whether or not the salesperson that they're with or the designer that they're with even gets them. 
that's a big deal. We're talking about a serious investment and having somebody that's there on your side, educating you and helping you visualize that dream. That's a big deal. And so I'm sure there's lots of things that you could do. Certainly one of them would be communicating that you don't feel like they are communicating with you in the best way possible or that they're not getting your vision. And maybe it's one of those things where it's time to look for another designer without knowing how long you've worked with somebody or how that transitioned from them calling into the office and you meeting with somebody. But not all of us are going to resonate with everybody. So maybe it's time to find another designer. Certainly is an option. I mean, ultimately, communication is the key. And it's really critical, people, as Mike and I go through all this, and we touch base on a lot of this in, in episode two, that there's really good communication. And we, of course, can't get into your head, which is a good thing, because I don't want anybody in my head. Do you want anybody in yours? Ouch. The more stuff that you can provide your designer, the better, which is, again, one of the premises of the show is to help you have the information you need to deliver to somebody so that they can produce something that you do like. Most of us have had plenty of practice at this, so we don't need necessarily any more practice, but we need a high level of communication. And sometimes it could be a storyboard, a picture board, written stuff. I know that you've got a a really good protocol that you use with clients when you're meeting with them. So what are some of the ideas you have? So the first thing that I asked for to understand what's in somebody's head is I want a lot of pictures. So I want you to come to the first meeting with 10, 12, I don't need a hundred. Okay. Cause I had a lady show up with a book. I want to go through every one and explain them in detail why she thought they were great. Okay. I'm like, I get it on the first five. Okay. (laughs) There you go. But if you have at least 10 to 12 pictures to help communicate things and understand when you pick those pictures, if you just send them to them without any definition of what you're trying to communicate, they may end up on the wrong tangent. You may be like, I like this color combination. And they're like, oh, I thought you wanted that tile. Or you wanted that funky plant that was in it. You have to explain what in the picture that you like. That's one thing that I think is really helpful is because a lot of times people can't put their finger on what they're trying to explain that the designer's not getting. And so if you have several photographs that show the feel or maybe it's a physical detail or whatever, that's certainly more helpful than words. So sometimes... Somebody tells me they want something that's modern, but then they want everything to be perfectly symmetrical. To me, that's not modern. Okay, that's more of a traditional style. Again, words are hard to explain versus I show someone a picture and they're like, oh, yeah, that one. No, definitely not that one over there. That's okay. Okay, that helps us understand each other. So we're on the same page. So four or five pictures that maybe one picture, I like this particular style this shape. If you produce a hundred pictures, there's bound to be probably a hundred different shapes. So understanding what type of pool that you want, what shape of pool that you want, because and there's a lot of different shapes and styles and we could spend probably a whole episode on those. We're going to briefly touch on it later. But the other thing that I tell people is, this is one of my comments when I start my second meeting, is I need you to not be politically correct today. If you don't like something, please tell me I don't like it. If you go to the car and you talk to your significant other and you're like, gosh, that stupid designer, he got this all wrong. doesn't help me get you where you need to be versus if you say, "Ah, I'm not feeling it. And it might be something as simple as that. And then we can discuss and I can try to get an idea of what you're not feeling so I can get in the right direction. But we need honest and open communication for us to serve you best. Otherwise, It's a tough battle going back and forth, not understanding each other. So one thing also is Jean mentioned she had a salesperson. And a lot of people that are salespeople in the pool industry aren't trained as designers. They're salespeople. They're selling something. And so they may not have the skill set to do what Jean's looking for. And so one of the suggestions I always have is if you're trying to achieve a certain look or a certain style, and I'm not sure exactly what Gene was trying to do, but find people that do that because they're very comfortable doing that. There's kind of two design camps, I would say. You have designers that do the same general style all the time. That's their specialty. They knock it out of the park. This is what they do. And we have a handful of people in the industry that just really good at one particular design style, but they don't do other design styles at at all. And then you have some designers that are like doing one would bore me to tears. 
And so what I want to do is create all kinds of different things based on sites and settings and architecture and what the client wants. And so I can design an organic boulder freeform natural pool. And tomorrow I might do a very traditional symmetrical situation. And then I might be doing something totally modern, asymmetrical design with very stark setting. Those all might be on my drawing board at one time, but that's the fun of the things. Of course, you don't want to mix up the notes with the clients if you're doing that type of thing. So understand who you're starting with and what their strong suit is might also be beneficial. I think to add to that would be the reality is we're in sales, but we're designers. And you've got to find, I think, somebody that it fits your MO more than anything. And part of the challenge, I think, becomes, are you going to deal with a salesperson? Because there's cases where a salesperson is just fine. And are you dealing with a designer? And this is a thing you've got to take into consideration, figure out. And then how do you align yourself up with somebody that, again, you resonate with, that gets you, that can help you with that vision? And I think it's a big deal. And I think that's where we're at in this industry now, because the pools have morphed into so much more than just a swimming pool that it takes a designer to put these things together and it takes time and it takes a commitment not only to communication with that designer, but to also, I really firmly believe in establishing some sort of relationship with them and not just looking at them as just, oh, here's somebody that's trying to sell me something. We're designers by trade, but we sell because that's our job. So I I think trying to get that dialed in to where you're comfortable with is, is really the key thing. So we're going to morph this discussion into episode nine. The whole episode is going to be on how to find a designer. And that's one you're not going to want to miss. No. So coming soon. Absolutely. This show is all about helping you become a better buyer, a better pool owner. And hopefully you're going to find some insights into how to enjoy your pool even more so, how to help your friends, your family, anybody looking to buy a pool in the future or that want to remodel their backyard, add an outdoor fireplace, fire pit, add an outdoor kitchen area, add some shade cells or whatever else it is. We want to be that resource for you. And that's the end goal here. And we promise that there's going to be a ton of information. We'll try to go through it, you know, as relatively quickly, but also slow so people can understand. But the intent of the show, the reason Mike and I are doing this is because we just got a lot in our heads and we want to share it. So we hope to see you here every single week. Thanks for listening.